Wow. You know, I was, while I was worshiping, I was reminded of some imagery God showed me years ago. You go down to like Harris Beach or anywhere, and you'll see people in different stages all the way down into the ocean. You'll see people sitting in their cars looking at the ocean. You'll see people sitting on chairs closer to the ocean. You'll see people sitting on towels, and then you see those crazy ones in the water going, woohoo! <laughs> when the water's like 40 degrees. But I'm telling you, come on in, the water's fine. Yeah, yeah. Tonight, I'm excited because I think we're going to cross a chicken line. <laughs> and we're going to step into the water a little deeper, and I'm excited. So, Francis, come on up, brother. This brother's preached his heart out. Amen. Wow. Are you that excited to jump the bloodline? <laughs> Amen. Well, it, let me be one of the, I want to honor, let's just honor there. Let's put our hands together for the mothers. We know tomorrow is their day, so we just put together. I think every day is Mother's Day. We thank God for them. Praise the Lord. Well, we'll get right, it, right to it. Praise God, we I was able to get my equipment that was, I mean, Alaskan Airlines wanted to kind of keep my, our luggage for a little bit. You know what, ha what happens when the airline falls in love with your luggage? can be stressful. <laughs> our entire streaming equipment was in it, but I think we got it. So we thank God for that. So my message tonight is not going to be long but powerful because God is going to shift some things. Amen? In your bloodline and in your DNA. Uh, we, my message is jumping the bloodline, breaking generational curses. Jumping the bloodline, breaking generational iniquity. Amen? Amen. And uh, this is one of those divine encounter revelations like speak to the earth because... If you had told me that I would be connected around the world to the prophetic act of jumping the bloodline, I would have said, what are you talking about? Because it is not something I fasted for or prayed for, but I got arrested by it anyway. <laughs> it's amazing when you come in the Lord that you have so many aspirations but tell you the truth, I, when you, the more you walk with Jesus, the things that come to mean a lot are usually the things you never even prayed about. They just become things God arrests you with because God knows what's truly important. And so I've been defined by things like that. You know, and um, so today is one of those messages where, and I'll give you a, a prophetic synopsis of what happened, and I'm going to be, uh, I'm going to harmonize the teaching with my, with the testimony of how the revelation came to me, and then at the end, I'll give you, and now this one has got too many miracles, so I cannot even go through everything. It would take a whole night to be here just to be going through testimony after testimony, 
but I'll get some radical ones. That was pretty spectacular. That came from the prophetic app. The good news is that I'm going to teach it in such a way that you can do it too on behalf of other people. This is a tool of deliverance that I'm, I surrender to you. I'm giving to you because I want many people to be set free. And I can tell you, I'll give you a couple of testimonies of people, other people doing this and the miracles they have seen without me being involved. I love those ones best because they prove whatever comes from the Lord works for everybody. So, yeah, I... Um, when I was living in Dallas, Texas, in, uh, in McKinney, Texas, to be more specific, there was a dealership out of Greeley, Colorado, that the CEO stumbled upon my book, The Order of Melchizedek, and it read radically transformed his life. Because it was a Christian company, he brought a copy of, all of The Order of Melchizedek for all of the executives. And that became, a, uh, became an odyssey of Bible study that really changed the nature of the company and the nature of the executives. So much so that they thought, like, you know, guys, let's not keep this to ourselves. Let's make a public proclamation to the whole company. People may not understand it, but we're going to make a proclamation to the staff that we are a company under the order of Melchizedek. So the executive, the CEO, had a meeting with the employees, and they made that statement. Some of you may not fully understand this, but we keep feeling in our Bible study that the Lord wants us to make a public proclamation. And so we have. Well, I'm glad they did. Because soon after, within three months, within three months, they sold more cars than they had the entire year the previous year. And they kept, and so the, the dealership grew so fast. There was the Mercedes-Benz dealership that was bigger than them across the street. And in about five months from declaring the company being under the order of Melchizedek, they bought the Mercedes-Benz dealership as well. They were so blown away by the breakthrough they were getting uh, the exponential growth they were getting ever since they made the public proclamation that they asked me to come to the dealership and pick any car I wanted. Of course, I prayed in tongues. Talk to me, somebody. <laughs> such, such suffering. <laughs> you have no idea how much you suffer trying to decide which, which car you're going to get. <laughs> Serious suffering. <laughs> So I ended up walking away with a Buick rendezvous free of charge because they were saying thank you for the revelation. It's changed everything for us. Well, these same guys had a business seminar at the Gaylord Resort in Texas. I don't know why they call it that. Just what they call it. So one of the biggest resorts in um, Texas. It's massive. Outside of the resort, there is, uh, there is a parking lot, five-story, I think, four or five-story. That's how big the parking lot is outside of the resort. And it would be packed. That, be, that was before COVID. It was a place to be. And so they were coming into town to do a, uh, for a business meeting there. 
And they called me. They see, they said, said, said the moms were coming into town. You've been such a blessing to our company. We want to just treat you at a very fancy restaurant. Here at the girl just hung out with you. I happened to be in town, so I went. And Tully was one of those steakhouses. When you see the price, you're thanking God you're not the one paying it. I mean, first time I saw a hundred dollar steak as a bit, I said, I said to somebody, Jesus better be cooking that. <laughs> he better be out there. <laughs> I mean, flipping stuff. <laughs> Seriously. I mean, but they, they didn't mind. They just wanted to spoil me and just spend some time. So we did. Around 9.30 at night, I remember that I'd forgotten a gift that I wanted to give one of the, the business leaders. So I excused myself to go outside of the Gaylord to go to the parking lot, look for the car and get the gift. Unbeknown to me that this was a setup from God. That my forgetting was God's way of setting me up. You know, I tell people that I got ambushed by grace. God will ambush you by grace. And do things through you, in you, that you never thought were possible after the ambush is over. So I went, and got to the car, opened it, got the gift. As soon as I turned, here's how I describe what happened next. It's like as soon as I turned, I entered the glory cloud. It was thick. I couldn't see what was in front of me. My body was shaking with, with, with righteous awe because I knew that I was that I knew that the king had come to visit. When an angel visits, you can feel it. There are different levels of aura. But when Yeshua, when the king of glory visits, there's a way he I mean it's there's nothing like it. I walked in it and then I heard his audible voice. It was as audible because I was in the glory. He, was, he spoke to me like a guy. He said to me, Now, as you know, God has a way of speaking that's different from the way we speak. Sometimes I think the Lord begins saying this at the wrong place, you know. But that's how he is. You know, and he starts, starts to say this. It is time, it is time, it is time. And I said, Lord, it is time for what? He said to me, it is time for my people around the world to experience Genetic salvation. I said, now I'm a theologian. I've been around in, in the charismatic, prophetic, whatever movements. Amen. I've experienced both the prophetic and the pathet pathetic movements. I've experienced both. <laughs> if you live long enough, you experience both. Okay. Amen. And... Um, I said, Lord, what do you mean? What is genetic salvation? And so the Lord says to me, genetic salvation is when the finished work of the cross is applied to the healing of my people's broken down genetics until Satan has no room to stop their destiny through the DNA. That's how he said it. 
He said, Francis, the work of the cross is far deeper than what you appropriated. And he said to me, I want to teach you biblical genetics, how to deliver my people from genetic iniquity permanently. And that was a big, that one caught my attention because I am a Derek Prince disciple. So I came in the kingdom believing in deliverance. Anybody know Derek Prince? <laughs> Heard of Derek Prince? One of the best Bible teachers of our, of our time. But he was also the pioneer of the ministry of deliverance. So I came into that. And my frustration for a long time when it came to dealing with generational curses with people's lives is that they'll seem to be delivered for a couple of weeks and then or months and then it all comes back. Or at least aspects of it. So the Lord said to me, I'm going to show you a more excellent way of how to settle the issue of genetic iniquity permanently. And in the encounter, it was what was amazing about the encounter is when the Lord spoke a scripture, it appeared in my mind like a neon light. Special effects. He knows them too. So he began to drop scripture as he was explaining to me what would become this book. And it was the book that opened the door. It's endorsed actually by Seed Roth himself. This is the book that opened the door for me to start appearing on It Supernatural. When I was on It Supernatural, uh, there was a six weeks waiting list for people to get the book from Seed Roth. That's how the show did. And... Um, but the miracles that have come out of the movement is what blows my mind. I just, I stand at awe of God. That the most powerful things can be so simple. A prophetic tool of jumping the bloodline, but the miracles that have come out of it are just incredible. And tonight God is going to add you to that list. So he, said, so he took me to Hebrews 7. Started with Hebrews 7. He said to me, Francis, the reason I'm giving you this technology of deliverance is because of your understanding of the Melchizedek order. If you do not understand the Melchizedek order, you wouldn't be able to know how to place or uh, line up this revelation. So he took me to Hebrews 7, verse 1 to 3 is where he started. And it says this. You can, I think you should, you should write the scriptures down or at least follow me because it's going to be really important. I'm not going to be long because it's about five scriptures and then we are going to do what we came to do and then look forward for an amazing service on Mother's Day tomorrow. Amen? And tomorrow morning, I'm going to actually teach on the order of Melchizedek. For this Melchizedek, for this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who made Abraham returning from the sort of the kings and blessed him. <clears throat> to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all. First being translated, king of righteousness. Okay? Then also king of Salem, meaning king of what? Peace or king of Shalom. Are you catching what I'm saying? This is the apostle Paul, the writer of the book of Hebrews. Uh, with Timothy, letting us know 
about the prophetic identity of the Melchizedek who made Abram in the valley of Shaveh. It is clear from Hebrews 7. If you look at Hebrews, uh, Exodus, um, Genesis 14, you think Melchizedek would look historical, like one of the priests of the ancient times. But when you come to Hebrews 7, you realize he was more than just a human being. Uh, the, the Melchizedek that made Abraham was literally the incarnation of the Son of God on the earth. How do we know that? Because of the titles he's given in the book of Hebrews that goes deeper to explain who he was. He was a king of righteousness. How many know there's no human being qualified to be called a king of righteousness outside of Yeshua? Because no man can wear that title. King of righteousness means righteousness comes out of a you produce the product known as righteousness. King of peace means you don't have peace. It means you produce it. Okay? Only one man in history can wear that title successfully. That he can produce both righteousness and peace in the human soul. In the human condition. But verse 3 is where it even becomes more powerful. But it also leads to what the revelation he was giving me that night was about. He says, this Melchizedek was without father. Without mother. Now, how many know that anybody without mother or without father is no, has no human parentage? Right? Because human parentage is not required if you have a mother and father. That's why tomorrow we are celebrating Mother's Day. To acknowledge there was a mother involved in your arrival you did not arrive in America by osmosis. You may think so. Talk to me, somebody. But trust me, a, ma a man and a woman were involved in your arrival. But this Melchizedek was without father, without mother. He had no parentage. Without genealogy, okay, without genealogy, Having neither beginning of days or end of life, that means he was, he was not an angel because angels have a beginning. Even though they have no end of life, but they do have a beginning. But this Melchizedek had no beginning of days. He was, in other words, he existed before the days existed. But made like the Son of God, he remains a priest continually. But here's what the Lord was uh, focusing on when he was, when he was giving me the revelation and jumping the bloodline. He said, Francis, what is your showing that in the Melchizedek order, in the Melchizedek order, there exists a solution of deliverance that can deliver you from whatever is coming from your mother and father's side because the priest of that order is above parentage. He said to me, only a priest, only a priest who's above parentage can deliver you from what's coming through your parentage. He was without father or without mother, that means he was above parentage. Without genealogy, means he was above DNA, so he can fix your DNA because he's above it. Are you catching what I'm saying? If the priest is having the same problems you're having, he can deliver you because you are in the same pool. Are you catching what I'm saying? Is that right? If you are broken and broke, we might have fellowship, but we can make each other prosper because we are all struggling financially. Somebody has to be above the struggle to bring people out. That's, that's, that's the principle of deliverance, is that right? Are you catching what I'm saying? Somebody has to be. Amen? So this priest is without mother and without father. Why is that important to us? Because we need such a priest to deal with the hell coming through the mother's bloodline and the hell coming through the father's bloodline. So we need a priest who's above parentage and who's above genealogy or DNA. And he said to me, this tool I'm about to give to you comes directly from the Melchizedek order. And it's going to work wonders. So he said to me, 
But let me first teach you biblical genetics. So he took me to Luke. Go to Luke 19. Said to me, Francis, do you remember the time I stopped and I told Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus was, uh, was trying to see Jesus because he was a man of stout stature. Is that right? The Bible says he, he climbed the sycamore tree. Are you catching what I'm saying? He climbed the what? And Jesus stopped at the sycamore what? tree. Are you, are you with me? To tell Zacchaeus, we are going to your house. You're going to have a visitation. There's a principle. Talk to me, somebody. Amen? Are you catching what I'm saying? If you are tired of looking at people and you really just want God, pure God, not, not religion, just Jesus himself, there's an easy, there's an easy way to get hold of him. Climb the sycamore tree. Are you getting what I'm saying? Seek him some more. That's what the name of the tree was. Sycamore tree. He always stops at that tree to get the people climbing that tree because he knows they want him above the crowd. So when Jesus came to the sycamore tree, there was a man who, above everybody else, wanted to get an unadulterated, unhuman, interrupted vision of the Messiah. He wanted, so he changed his elevation to make sure he can look at the man he saw was longing for. Jesus, being drawn by the passion of Zacchaeus, stops because while everybody's around him, there is one man who needs him above the rest. And he stops, and then he looks up. He says, Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus almost fell from the tree. Because he was shocked that the Messiah knew his name. That must have been amazing. Can you imagine to know to realize the day you realize God knows your name? Now, theologically, you know it, but when it actually happens, you're like, what? He knows my name. He could have easily said, you, <laughs> come down. That's not how he did it. Zacchaeus. I know you came to see me. <laughs> Thousands of people. Zacchaeus. I know your name. I've called you by my name. By your name. Come down. Because today, that hunger has bring me to your house. Everybody was surprised. What? He's a sinner. He's whatever. No. When the spiritual hunger is involved, there is no sinner. There is no sin. God will follow spiritual hunger. Even if he finds it in a Buddhist, you'll find it. You can smell it. You can sense it. And so the Pharisees, who had been around there, they got upset. Doesn't he know? But it doesn't matter. But it, at the house of Zacchaeus, the Lord said, I said something in the house of Zacchaeus that I want you to understand, to connect the dots of the deliverance to I'm about to give you for the world. He said to me, Francis, when I would go to Zacchaeus, uh, I said something when I was at his, ha his house that will help you understand the scope of the work the Father sent me to do in the earth. And so in, in Luke chapter 19, verse nine, 9 and 10, here's what it says. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house. What has come to the house? 
So remember in hermeneutics, the, so, the, so the principle now there is, so the subject is about salvation. So everything that follows is to, uh, it is to expound on this, uh, sub, what, uh, is on this statement. Today, salvation has come to this house because he is also a son of Abraham. Is that right? So salvation is for the children of Abraham. Is that right? That's why you got saved, because you're one of, you're one of his kids. Salvation is, is for, yeah, for he's also a son of Abraham. But look at verse 10. This is where he got me. For the son of man has come. To seek and save that which was lost. The Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was what? Lost. And the Lord, now remember when he's speaking to me, those scriptures are appearing in my mind like neon light. It was amazing how he spoke. And he said to me, Francis, the problem with the church, my body is that you are so evangelical in your theology, you tend to limit the, the scope of salvation to the salvation of the soul. But he said to me, Francis, if, I ever, if ever I had a mission statement on the earth, that's my mission statement. Okay? The Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. That's my vision. That's my mission statement. He said, Francis, in order for you to understand the scope, so the scope of salvation, which is the scope of my work, you need to... You need to first ask yourself, understand, ask yourself the concept, and uh, ask yourself the question. He said to me, Francis, the concept of loss doesn't come into play unless there is a situation of pre-ownership. You cannot lose what you never had. Loss as a concept, are you catching what I'm saying? Even in, the whole entire insurance business is based on the concept of loss. But, you, but in order for you, so you are insuring against a loss, right? Is that right? That's what the insurance is all about. You know, but for the insurance to, to, file, to, for, to pay the claim, then you have to prove that something was lost. So God said to me, Francis, the son of man, I came. I'm telling you what I came to do. Words out of my own mouth. And the son of man has come to seek and save that which was lost. He says, so therefore, the, it begs the question. For you to fully understand what I came to do, you need to know what was lost. Because I came to do nothing, nothing more, nothing less. That's what the scripture says. He came to seek and save that which was lost. He said to me, Francis, there was a lot you lost as a creation in Adam because I gave him a lot. Okay? I came as the last Adam to restore that. But he said to me, one of the things he lost, Adam and Eve lost in the historic rebellion, is the flawless genetics or DNA of God. He said to me, Francis, outside of me, Adam and Eve were the only human beings who were born with what scientists call Flawless genetics. Literally, they are the holy grail of genetic science because the whole thing about stem cell research is to find a gene so pure, so unadulterated, it can cure diseases. That is the thesis. That's the theory. I get what I'm saying. Because DNA is the beginning of life. Are you with me, somebody? Well, Adam and Eve, outside of Yeshua, became the third man on the earth to ever walk with flawless genetics that are not compromised. They were born with the DNA of God. He said to me, I, he said to me, go to Genesis chapter 20, 
6. To chapter 21, chapter 1. Because I want to show you biblical genetics. Because if you're going to destroy generational curses, you've got to fully understand them and how they work from my perspective. Okay? And so it took me to Genesis 1.26. Let's go there. And as, much, as many times as I've read Genesis 1.26, I'd never seen it from this angle. He showed it to me that day. Amen? And then God said, let us make man in our image. Is that right? According to our likeness. Ever say likeness. When the Lord got the word likeness, that word likeness began to flash in my mind. And, the Lord, and Yeshua said to me, Francis, I know you are a theologian, so you know that image is spirit. My image is spirit. So you are made, you are a spirit being. Is that right? But he said to me, but do, have you, he said to me, but what do you think likeness is? But before I could answer, he went on and he answered. He said, Francis, any genetic scientist or biologist who tell you the phenomenon called likeness in humans is controlled by genes. Likeness is a genetic function. It's a, it's a, it's a byproduct of genes. It's a DNA. It is a signature of connectivity in the DNA. It is a signature of parentage in the DNA. So Abraham, the Adam was truly the son of God, like the Bible calls him. Because you, before he fell, he, was, he, was, he had pure, they had the, the DNA of God. So if you, if, in other words, if you met Adam and Eve before they fell and did a paternity test, God would be guilty of being the dad. Why? Because the DNA would be exact match. That was before it was compromised by a thief. Talk to me, somebody. Amen? Before, before hacking, Satan, before hacking, before you talk about hacking, hacking is not a new term. Okay? The first people to get hiked, to get, get, to get hacked, was Adam and Eve. The entire mainframe, the, their, their DNA was hacked. And Satan was able to hack their DNA and put iniquities in their genetic sequence that were not there before. Why? Because Satan, well, watch this. Because the, the thing about genetics is this. This is powerful stuff. Watch this. You know, because genes control likeness. Is that right? You know, for instance... If the father walks like a duck, the boy walks like a duck. Is that right? Nobody teaching the boy to walk like a duck. You know, it, why? That information is already carried by the genetics. That child doesn't need to go to school to learn what's in the DNA. You see where this is going? Adam and Eve did not need a Bible college to know who God was. We need Bible colleges because we have got so many gaps of information in our DNA. We need a theologian to put them, to remind us who we are, whatever. They did not need that. And by the way, they never needed prophecy because their own DNA was the prophecy they needed. It connected them to God. They knew who they were. You see what I'm saying? So Satan wanted access to the DNA. It's not just that he, want, he wanted access. Why? Because Satan figured, uh, 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 understood as well. That whatever is in the genetics, you will do unconsciously. 
See, if the mother, I mean, I've, I've met mother, mother and daughter that are so similar, it's scary. If the mother is, if the mother or daughter are behind the wall and you don't know who is talking, you would have a big, big, big problem trying to decipher whose voice it is. I've met mothers where the voice is exactly the same. And by the way, they love the same. Hey, same way. And I can tell you there was never a time when mama said, no, 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 baby. I'm going to teach you how mother loves. He, he, ho. <laughs> no teaching was involved. Why? Because the, the inheritance to love like the mother, act like the mother, was in the DNA. So the inheritance of Adam to be like God, talk like God, act like God, was no need for Bible. It was in the genetics. Every time they fired, he acted like God. He talked like God. He was God's son. Satan wanted access to that DNA. Because he knew if you put iniquity in the DNA, you don't even have to have demons to be there for the people to do that. Their own genetic impulses will begin to move in the direction, talk to me somebody, <laughs> of the iniquity that's now attached to the DNA can now be transferred. Plus, genetics are the medium of transport. Talk to me somebody, amen? Are you catching what I'm saying? So he knows that's how you can carry traits from one generation to the next is through the DNA. So if you're the devil and you hack the DNA, talk to me somebody, you put iniquity, lying, cheating, whatever, you put things in the iniquities in the DNA, here's what you know. You don't have to be there and police the DNA. If that man has, 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 gets married, has sexual intercourse, a child is born, the DNA will carry the story of iniquity. Talk to me somebody. Amen? That's, how, that's why you, you are shocked that little Johnny, she's, he's two years old, you've caught him with sugar all over his mouth, and you say, Johnny, were you in the sugar? No, no. Johnny, you could see sugar everywhere. He's lying. Why? Because lying is part of the family. He's at two, he already knows what to do. Why? Because it may be one of the iniquities of the family. Different things for different people. So the Lord said to me, Francis, what happened? You need to ask me the question, what happened to the original DNA I gave to Adam and Eve? That's the story of Genesis. It's a story of what happens to the original genes God gave Adam and Eve. That's the story. When you understand that, then you're going to begin to understand how to deal with generational iniquity. And he said to me this. He said to me, Francis, you know, he said to me, um, um, uh, uh, he, he took me to the Genesis chapter 5. Just go to there. Genesis chapter 5. It's very interesting. Actually, uh, Genesis chapter 5. Genesis chapter 5. Yes. Now this one is amazing when he showed me this. Genesis what? Oh, by the way, I, I, when the Lord was taking me to this, he said, Francis, you know, he knows I love Genesis. He said to me, okay, Francis, look at the word Genesis. He said to me, what are the first five letters of the book? Genes. The eyes is from, uh, is ish. The last part has to do with knowledge. Okay. So basically, Genesis is the knowledge of genes or the knowledge of beginnings. He said to me, the story of Genesis is what happened 
to the genes that made you act like your God, talk like God, act like God, love like God. What happened? How did you go from that to killing people, lying, cheating, stealing? Because that's not who that is. That is the story of Genesis. Is the loss of the original genetic sequence that made Adam exactly like God without going to Bible college. We have to go five years yet to get close to where Adam was. And sometimes if God help you, if you go to the wrong seminary or cemetery, talk to me somebody, you come out more dead than you went in because this theologian himself is confused about God. So you come out even more confused. You'll be like twice dead. Exactly, brother. Amen. <laughs> there is a movie, if you have never watched it, it's worth watching. It's very, div I mean, I found it, I found it very prophetically interesting movie. I don't know if it's the Christians who did it or not, but boy, it has got serious Christian overtones about destiny and purpose. It's a, it's a story, it's a movie called Simon Birch. About a boy who was born like a midget. And everybody laughed at him, but something in his heart told him he was born a midget for a reason. So in the story, there comes, I think Jim Carrey acted his part. I think he either acted his part or, or Jim Carrey acted the part of his best friend. But anyway, the point of the story is uh, there's a time when Simon Birch, you know, goes with his little legs, sits in front of the priest, is all, you know, decked up, you know, looking like a holy man of God, but lost. Amen. Sometimes I found the more garments people have, the more the, lost, the more lost they are. So he he asked the the priest. He says, "Priest, please tell me that God must have a purpose for why I was born a midget. Does God have a purpose for my life?" The priest was, you know, because he's white, he went red. Talk to me, somebody. <laughs> when, I, when I had a church in Arizona, one of my favorite things in my life was pastoring my white members. Why? Because white people are never given the gift of a poker face black people are born with. <laughs> so I used to enjoy counseling my, wa my white members. When I get on their nerves, they try to act like I did not. And I'm like, are you, are you okay? No, I'm fine, pastor. I said, but you're turning red. Talk to me, but you know, but when a black man blushes, you won't even know I'm blushing right now. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> so the priest says to Simon Birch, Birch, he goes red. He says, those are difficult, difficult constructs. Uh, I'm, I'm like, okay, that's a, his way of saying, how can I tell about God's purpose? I don't even know mine. But in the movie, Simon Birch came to discover that he was born a midget for a reason to save the lives of all his school friends. It's an amazing movie that he has you tearing up at the end. What a story. God has purpose for all of us. But anyway, so Adam, so the Lord talked to me, he said, you need to trace that issue. What happened to the genes? Okay? So he took me to Genesis chapter 5. Now, I'm going to use the King James for this one because in the King James, boy, it brings it out. 
Um, uh, for this only one, only for this one, I'm using the King James because it brings out a word that's very important to helping us understand what jamming the blood and is all about. So in Genesis chapter 5, if you use the King James, this is what it says. This is the book of the generations of Adam. This is the book of the what? Generations of Adam. I remember in the encounter, the Lord did something that blew my mind. So I said, this is the book of the generations of Adam. And right there in my mind, the Lord separated the first four letters from the rest. I said, what do you see now? Read it, read it again, but slowly, as two words instead of one. This is the book or the story of the generations. You see how it changes? Is that Francis, the word generation is made up of two words, gene and ration. It's a measurement of the it's a measurement of the ration or portion of genes you receive from ancestor in the lineage. This is what happened to the generations. He said, I'm telling you the story of Genesis, the story of mankind is the loss of the DNA of my father. And my recovery and my death was to restore your ability to get back to the DNA of my father. I didn't just die to save you from sin. Talk to me somebody. Because you would not need to sin if the DNA is right. <laughs> Are you catching that? You won't need to be delivered from sin if your DNA is right. The reason you need to be delivered from sin is because your DNA is compromised. It's hacked. There's a virus in your DNA. Talk to me, somebody. Some Trojan horses that have infected your DNA. That's why you can go from worshiping God, loving God, having a great time on Sunday, and then blow up like you are the green monster two hours later. What? And everybody said, what was that? I thought it was a man who was singing, hallelujah, Jesus alive two hours ago. But now uh, you have become the, the incredible hawk. <laughs> Mr. David, you will not like me when I'm hungry. <laughs> Come on. I love the incredible hawk. <laughs> He's the only man I wanted somebody to be stupid enough to get him angry. Because I kind of knew where it was going to go. <laughs> Dr. David Banner. <laughs> Are you guys what I'm saying? You know, and why? It's the Trojans in the DNA. Yeah, flashpoints of hacking in the DNA. Flashpoints. This is the book of the generations of the generations of Adam. Watch this. Then it has to trace them. In the day that God created man in the likeness of God, he made them. That means, brother, at the beginning of the genetic sequence, we had the exact DNA as God. But you're going to find that a mutation happens in the story. You catch what I'm saying? And the whole Bible is God trying to kill that mutation. <laughs> The whole Bible is God trying to kill the mutation. Because he changed his children. 
So watch this now. So male and female, he created them and blessed them and called their name Adam in the day when they were created. But look at verse 3. The mutation now happens. And Adam lived 130 years. Adam lived what? You know what the Lord told me about this? He said to me, Francis, have you noticed that in the Garden of Eden, Adam's age was not being tracked? I said, why, Lord? I mean, I never saw it. He said to me, you know why it's not being tracked? Because he was never meant to die, so why track it? He says the 130 years is a measurement from the time he fell to the time he had sinned. Because from the time he, 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 his DNA got hacked and death got in the genetic sequence, now he was on a time clock on the way towards death. So we have no idea how long Adam and Eve were in the garden in time-wise before they fell. They could have been there a thousand years in your timeline. We don't know. Talk to me, somebody. But from the time they, their DNA got hacked, from that time, God has been now what? Tracing human life with age. Because he knows every human person, even the baby who's born, oh, wah, wah, wah. already you begin to count the birthday because now the day the child is racing towards death. So you count. The countdown has already begun. Okay? But watch, when he gets to say it, the Bible says, and he, he, gave, he begot a son in his own likeness. His own what? See, not God's likeness. Likeness. Image is still spirit. Image is still God. But likeness, God says, that's not my child. Not in that way. Not the way you were. He's your child. As you are now. He's got my image, that's spirit. But boy, the way he's going to behave is exactly like you. Yeah, because he, he, he has, well, by the time Seth is born, Adam and Eve have already squandered the original flawless DNA of God. What they now have is hack DNA, and that's all they can give to their children as an inheritance. That can explain why a child, that's what he can explain. Remember just one time Jesus said to, 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 the, to the Pharisees, to the, to the Pharisees and Sadducees, they got really mad, really, really mad, but he didn't apologize. Are you guys sure what I'm saying? Because when the Lord was telling the truth, he didn't care about political correctness. He just told you the truth. He said that these are Jewish people who have been raised around orthodoxy. They believe in the Tanakh. They believe they are it of spirituality. He just busts, busts their bubble. And he says, you know what? You guys are like the devil your father. What? Yo, it's John, John 8. It's a whole sermon about, yeah, you're like the devil your father. I mean, when I said, my Lord, this is harsh. He said, no, Francis, it's the truth. Notice they got upset. We have Abraham for our father. I said, no, no, no. If Abraham was your father, trust me, you would listen to me. But you, have, you are like the devil. From And then he says, he has been a murderer from the beginning. When he tells a lie, it's only a deflection of his nature. He lies. He's a pathological liar. He, it's, he starts going through that. But watch this. I didn't understand that for a long time until God gave me this, with this encounter. I said, Francis, remember when, when, you read, when you read that portion, you'd always say, my God, that's a whole hush. It was not. I was not telling the Israelites that the devil created them. I was saying, yes, God is their creator, but in terms of their genetic impulses, 
they are closer to their father, the devil. I was talking about their genetic impulses. That you are like him in your genetic impulses. That's why you rush to lying. You rush to killing. You rush, everything he rushes to, you go there first. Say to me, Francis, so a generational curse. Now let me give it to you. The generational curse is a curse attached to the ration of genes you received from your progenitors. That is what a generational curse is. But he said to me, Francis, he said, but the way you do it right now is when you do, del when you, when you do deliverance of people from genetic, uh, from genetic, uh, uh, from generational curses, here's what you do. You profile, you do a profile, a deliverance profile. We used to do that. We'll, we'll interview you. You know, we want, you know, the person wants to go through deliverance, okay? Can you tell me what things in your bloodline, you know, who, you oh know, there's alcohol, there's this, so they're writing down, they're trying to get what they call a genetic profile of, of your life so they can know what kind of speech to break and that kind of stuff. So the Lord said to me, Francis, there's a more excellent way. The problem with profiling the bloodline of somebody you're trying to pray for is that the bloodline is longer than their memory. At best, they will repent over and they will tell you about iniquities they, they or the closest elderly person in the family could remember. The problem is the bloodline is longer than the living, than the oldest member of the family. So you only are going to get to, that's like having a thousand tickets. The police are looking for you for a thousand tickets and you pay 50 and you feel good about it. The popo is still coming after you. Why? Because you owe the government a thousand tickets. So paying 50 does not mean you are delivered. He said to me, Francis, I, I propose a different way. I'm going to show you a different way. And from that moment, I had a vision within a vision. First time. I have had a vision form within a vision. I'm with the Lord in the glory cloud. He's talking to me. And then all of a sudden, we are standing in front of believers. I, how do I know there are believers? I just know. When you, if you ever go in the realm of the spirit, there is no information travels at the speed of light. So there's no need. By the way, every time I've seen the, when I, when the, time, the, the times I've, I've had a chance to be able to see the Lord, there's no talking. Talking is too slow. Talking is what you do at the flesh level. When you're in the realm of the spirit, it's all it's all telepathy. Whatever he's thinking appears in your mind, and whatever your thing appears in his. That's how we talked. But it was loud. <laughs> the thoughts were loud. That's how I knew God would judge thoughts. They are really loud. Now, right now you are thinking about it. I wonder if I like this Francis Mouse. He reminds me of Denzel Washington, but but that's all. Come on, somebody. Now, they are quiet right now. But in the spirit, here's how they sound like. I wonder if I like this person's mouth. He doesn't. Thoughts are loud. So, <laughs> all of a sudden, when front, there was a group of believers. Believers. How do I know? I just knew they were all born again, sanctified believers. 
And they were standing in front of a stream of blood. And the Lord says to me, Francis, come closer. Watch this. And I found myself on the edge of this stream of liquid blood. It was flowing fast. But what I heard in that blood put some goosebumps on me. Here's how I describe the sound I heard in the blood. Not in the bill, in the blood. It was like the sound of taking a thousand radios, channels, and mixing the frequencies. You know how it is. I mean, remember those old broken radios? You're trying to look for your, where the basketball game is, and you catch somebody in Toronto. Or you know, the, all the channels are mixing. It was like this. High frequency, very eerie. And I said, Lord, what is this sound in the blood? He said to me, that is the voice of iniquity. It's how it sounds. He says, every sound you hear is a frequency that is conjuring a particular spirit that answers that frequency. That's what you call generational curses. So there are blood sounds that call for cancer. That frequency is a cancer frequency. That family will have cancer after cancer because that is the, that is the penalty Satan has placed against the iniquity of that bloodline. Others is divorce after divorce. Others it's whatever. He's explaining this. Then he says to me, that Francis, I died to silence that noise. My blood does not have that noise. But you must teach my people how to appropriate what I did. Sid Roth, I'm in the studio with Sid. He asked me, Francis, I have been investigating people for 40 years on the supernatural. He says, I have had all kinds of different variations of teaching on the Breaking generational curses, but yours is the best I've ever seen and the simplest. But the results that happened in the studio and after the show aired blew him away. He said to me, how did you come up with this thing you're calling jumping the bloodline? I said, Sid, I'm not that intelligent. I hate to disappoint you, but I'm not that intelligent. I didn't come up with jump the bloodline. Jesus did. He said, what happened was, he, he said, I was looking at these believers. They are on the side like that. They are on this side. The blood is making all these kind of noises. And I heard the Lord say this. Jump! And all of the believers, as if they were one man, jumped over the stream of blood and came to our side. And then something happened. The bloodline that was making all the noises disappear. Gone. It was quiet, peacefully quiet. And then the believers who jumped the bloodline, they began to praise the Lord. I mean, I could only call it a tehillah, the highest praise. And I'm looking at this, and the Lord said to me, Francis, did you say that? I said, yes. He told them to jump the line. 
He says, go do it in the natural and watch what I do with Matthew. He said, that is how you appropriate the genetic salvation I brought to the earth. It's not by telling my people they can improve on their bloodline. It's telling my people to give it up altogether. Instead of dealing with the 50 tickets you can remember, how about giving up the whole line? He said, Francis, the covenant of the, cov the New Testament is a covenant of appropriation. Is that right? The work is done, but you must appropriate. Is that right? What has been finished. It's like the meal has been made. The, the, the meal has been done. Everything is there. The, everything. The, the, women of the, I mean, the woman of the house has done whatever needs to be done. Then you are invited to the table. You will still be hungry if you don't reach out and touch the food and do something with it. Right? It is not an issue of whether there is no food on the table. It's an issue of the lack of appropriation. You catch that? In the Francis, the work is done, but, uh, but people are not appropriating because they do not know they can appropriate this way. He said to me, Francis, so tell my people to stop repossessing their corrupted bloodline when I did everything to give them a way out of it. He said, Francis, when you say, I am of the Johnson bloodline, you own everything and every ticket on the bloodline. Or you can do with the bloodline what you did with your sins. He said, Francis, what did you do with your sins? I said, Lord, I came, I heard the gospel, and I came to the cross. I said, but who did you give your sins to? I said, I gave them to you, but what did you take back? My righteousness, that was the appropriation. My, your, my, your, your, your sins for my righteousness. Is that right? That's all salvation is. He said to me, but Francis, what about healing? How do you do it? Well, my disease for the stripes on your back. By his stripes you have been healed. What about your mind? You put off your old mind and you put on the mind of who? It's all about appropriation. Then he said to me, if it is true everywhere else, why is not your bloodline for my bloodline? Why are you not making that appropriation? I mean, and the light just went off. He said to me, Francis, that prophetic act of jumping the bloodline is the act. You're going to teach my people that says they are renouncing and coming out of their corrupted bloodlines with all the tickets on the bloodline, and they are jumping into the Messiah's incorruptible bloodline that has no voice of iniquity. He said to me, that's what the prophetic act represents, and you watch God, you watch me begin to move. So that's how it began. Okay? I saw the first time I did it, I, I mean, I wanted, you know, it's good to have friends you can use as guinea pigs. Some of you, you need some friends you can use as guinea pigs. Amen? I you what I'm saying? So I, I called a friend of mine in, uh, who went to kind of Copeland's church. I said, Doc, I got this revelation. I said, please come to my house. So I went to his house and I explained to him. He said, whoa, man, that's... So he calls his wife. He had this nice... He said, calls his wife before she was downstairs. She comes up in the studio upstairs. She said, Dr. Mouse has got this revelation. Uh, the wife goes and finds a red ribbon. We are ready, Dr. Mouse. We want to go through this. We can hear this is God. So watch this. I led them in the prayer of renounce, renouncing their corrupted bloodlines in favor, in exchange for the Messiah's bloodline. And I command them to jump the bloodline. They jumped the bloodline. The power of God hit that studio like a rock. 
they fall off. I mean, no pretense. These are my friends. They didn't have to. I mean, the power God hates them. But here's why it gets interesting. They had the little daughter. At the time, she was eight years old. Here's our problem. She had a recurring nightmare that would send her into screaming. Their father has spent thousands of dollars going to people, practitioners trying to help her through it. Nothing was breaking. So what they end up doing, they, they, their parents moved her room where she, it was close to theirs. So if she went into one of those, the one of them would run out and just go and hug Brooke. Her name was Brooke. And put her around. Now watch this. In the dream, the dream was always the same. She would dream about this. She would dream her... A dead grandparent, grandfather would be in the dream with the seven dwarfs. And the dwarfs would be chasing her in the dream, dream. It was always the same dream. But it caused so much problem for the family because she could hardly sleep. Every week there was an episode. Serious episode. And it would take hours before she could go back to sleep. As parents, they were very, very concerned. So Brooke is at school when we do the jamming of the bloodline, when the parents did it. I leave the house. Two days later, they're sitting on the, on, the, on, the, on the living room, eating. And out of the blue, little Brooke says, Mom, Dad, I want to tell you something that just happened yesterday. So I think, okay, well, maybe it's a school. He says, Dad, you remember those dreams that I've always had? And, then, and then I, I'm screaming, you and Mom have to come and sleep with me and help me. He said, so I said, yeah, yeah. I had it, I had it last night. So, so the father and the mother stopped eating. And the mother said, but Brooke, every time you have it, we know about it because we have to put you back to bed. We really have to, you always scream, you are screaming, you are pushing. She said, that's what I'm trying to tell you. The dream came. But this time, instead of my grandfather and the, in the dream, an angel with a flaming sword appeared. In the dream, and in my dream, he chased away the seven dwarves. When they were gone, the angel came and he knelt with his shield and sword by my bed. He knelt and he smiled and said, Brooke, you never have to be afraid again. <laughs> so, that, I mean, mother starts crying, father starts crying. He said, why? He said, you don't understand. Dr. Miles was just here two days ago telling us about this revelation God gave him about how to remove iniquities in the bloodline. It's called jumping the blood. We jumped the blood upstairs. We, you guys didn't even know about it. But from that day, young Brooke never, ever had a nightmare again. It was gone after three years of constant nightmares, at least one a week. Gone. So he calls me, Francis, this is amazing. You're going to do this. So two weeks later, I'm with the same guy. We're in a business meeting. Uh, they were doing a seminar, and so I went to see him. Well, we, they, had, they finished their business meeting, and then he, he sells me out. to Everybody says, hey, guys, you're going to hear their testimony. So he goes in the testimony of his daughter. He's so excited. She's sleeping amazing. My God, this is, we spent thousands trying to get this thing fixed. And just start jumping the bloodline. 
there was a woman with dyslexia. She was, you could see she, she was, no matter what she ate, she would vomit. The, her family was plagued with dyslexia. Several family members had died away. They withered away. And she was withering away. So at the time she came, she had just come from a specialist doctor in Alaska. One of the, one of, you know, and he, he said, he told her, I'm going to do my best, but you are the worst case of dyslexia I've ever seen. Because everything they would give her, no matter what it was, she would just puke it within about five minutes. She would be vomiting. How can you live if you can eat anything? Well, that woman was there at the meeting. And there was, a, there was another mother there who had come for the meeting. One was from Canada. This other woman was in the U.S., the dyslexia one. So my friend Kyle said, said, said to the mouse, you are here, man. I said, I said, Kyle, this is a business meeting. I said, no. These are Christians, but they're in business, but they, they need help. Let's do that jump the line thing. So I said, okay, what do we do? What do we use? And so we found a, 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 an electric cable. <laughs> That's what we had. So I put it in front of the people, and I laid these people in the prayer. I'm about to lead you in for jumping the bloodline. So after the end, I said, jump. I just did exactly what I've said. They jumped over. Now watch this. The woman with dyslexia jumps over. And I said to the people, give me two apples. Because she couldn't keep food for more than five minutes. She would vomit back. My God, that woman ate like a pig. <laughs> she had, I mean, she ate like a pig, kept eating. That was the end of the dyslexia. End of it. Now, what now the other woman was from Canada. Watch the other woman who jumped the bloodline was a single mother who was living with a 16 year old son who was driving her crazy. Some people just smiled and said, I, I can feel that pain. <laughs> and some of you are saying, I'm delivered. They're married and gone, okay? But he said she, he, he got, somebody turned him on to, mar, to marijuana and he became a chimney smoker. Everything in the house was smelling like cannabis. She begged him. She even bribed him to stop. He couldn't stop. Well, 9.30 at night is when I made them jump the bloodline. She, her son was in Alberta, Canada. She flies back on Sunday to go home. He's at the airport to pick her up. She gets in the car and the son says, Mom, i got to tell you something. He says, I say, okay, what? She said, what? He says, you won't believe what happened. He said, you know how you have been trying to tell me to stop smoking the marijuana because I'm smoking up the everything? She said, yes. She said, well, Sunday night, I went to smoke a joint. She said, mama, do you know what happened? She said, what? It smelled so bad. I couldn't stand it. She said, what? What did you do? She said, well, I thought it was the wrong joint, so I went to get another one. <laughs> I mean, another one. Because somebody showed me some stupid joint, whatever. Amen. I want to get something from a different pouch. It says that smelled even worse. I was so nauseated by the smell 
I took all the marijuana Saturday night and I flushed it all down the toilet. That woman breaks down in the casas to cry, calls my friend in Texas. He says, please tell Dr. Mouse to not stop. She said, tell Dr. Mouse to keep, to, to keep making people jump that line. I mean, I said, okay, this is something. So I said, let me test it in a church. So I had another friend. I said, okay, now I'm, I'm, I'm going to move from, talk to me somebody. I'm going to need some bigger, big guinea pigs, okay, bigger venues. Because I'm trying to, I didn't want to run, I, I, didn't, I was like, Paul, I didn't want to run endlessly. I wanted to make sure I can prove the thesis. Okay, God, this is great. Wow, it's amazing. So I went, I was, I, I told a friend of mine in Austin, Texas, I said, listen, I want to be honest, man, I've got this as a new thing, but I'm still, I said, come and test it on my people. <laughs> <laughs> I can sure I use some help in here. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I went to Austin, Texas. And we had about 300 people. I taught on this. I said, okay, who wants to jump the line? Pretty much everybody. People began to jump the bloodline. And as they were jumping, many people were getting healed from stuff, stuff happening. But the one that blew my mind was the finance director of the church was a powerful, just beautiful, godly woman. Her husband never came to the church. What? Except the day after they jumped the bloodline was the first day their husband ever visited the church. But you need to know why. She had the worst case of insomnia. Insomnia was a generational iniquity in a bloodline had killed three or four other members because they, they got so worried. Well, I mean, they, could go, they withered away for lack of sleep. She said, our insomnia was so bad, even with heavy medication that would put a host to sleep, she would add one hour at the best to a normal four-hour sleep night. So she was 52, but she looked like she was 65 because she was, and she had an executive job in the marketplace, a five, I mean, this a Fortune 500. But, and then she did financing for the church. But this thing was killing her. And she knew that I couldn't stop it. We went to thousands of dollars they had spent on sleep kind of protocols where the husband, they, they had money. So they threw money at it. Nothing changed. So check this out. The woman goes to sleep. This was a Saturday night into Sunday when they jumped the bloodline. Like tonight. Saturday. Talk to me, somebody. And she, I did not know, she had a chronic case of insomnia already diagnosed and being treated for years. I had no idea. I didn't know it was there. So she jumped the bloodline. After I do that in the prayer, she jumped the bloodline. Where she goes to sleep. She goes to sleep and the service began at 11. Okay. She went to sleep that night. She went home. The husband said she went into bed at 9 p.m. The reason he came to church that day is because first their wife slept through two alarm clocks 
that he thought she was in a coma because she slept 12 hours non-stop. 12. The first alarm clock rang, she was just snoring through it. Second one, again she's snoring through it. So the husband panics. He starts to push her. He pushes her. Baby, wake up, wake up. Now he's wanting to wake up. Okay, this woman goes, wake up, please. So she wakes up and she says, Why are you? What are you doing? What are you trying to do? She says, Oh, I'm so happy. I thought you would die. I thought you were in a coma, my baby. Why? He says, Do you are you aware that you have slept through two alarm clocks? You've been asleep since 9 p.m. last night. It is nine. It's now past nine a.m. And she's usually at church by eight because of other things she had to do. He said, What? She and she started sobbing. And she sobbed. And then she tells her husband, there was a man, there's a man at my church who came with this teaching on juggling the bloodline. And he talked about whatever. I was just desperate. You know how I can't sleep. Last night, I jumped the bloodline. And I guess this is a result. The curse was broken. So, when I get to the service at 10.30, they are calling, there's a revival in the church. The pastor says, you can't have Dr. Mas come to the, to the, to the, to the, to the, uh, to the uh, pastoral suite. When I went there, it was filled with staff members praying in tongues, shouting, groaning. The woman was there. Her husband, who had never been to that church, came and said, now I know God is real. Because this insomnia, he as a loving husband, had walked through with his wife for years. From that time, she talked to me somebody. They, after that, I kept up with the woman. This woman, after that, needed an alarm clock every night to wake her up. That's how deep her sleeps became. <laughs> and all she did was jump the bloodline. And that irritated me. Exactly like Yeshua told me. Do it and watch what happens. I'll give you two more testimonies. And then we are going to give you a chance to come before the bloodline and see what Yeshua may have in store for you. Are you catching what I'm saying? Um, I'm in Paducah, Kentucky. I thought, it was, uh, I thought I left America and I went to Africa. Paducah. <laughs> Amen. I said, are you sure this air ticket is right? Paducah, Kentucky. That looks like Africa. And sure, I went to this church called Faith Christian Center. Pastor John Aiken. And I'll never forget this. This was one of those outstanding. So, church like this, at the back, for three days, a woman came on a walker. She was walking like this. Very slowly, but she never missed a meeting. But I noticed when she sat, she sat at the edge of her butt. At, because everything, I, I would realize later, every, all the muscles had frozen by the muscular dystrophy. So she sat like that, and she, she wrote a notes like that. So on a way Friday night, the healing anointing came upon me so strong, I began to pray for people, people getting healed. And I rushed, because I was, I was so tired of seeing her like that. Man, this is it. This is I'm in the moment. This is it. God's gonna heal her. So I rushed over to lay hands on her 
and my hand froze. The Lord froze my hand on top of her head, couldn't bring it down, froze it. I said, God, why are you freezing my hand? He said, she does not need a healing. She needs the iniquity in the DNA to be destroyed. Jump the line is our only solution. Can you teach on jump the line tomorrow? Then I'll give her the miracle she needs. Because her issue is, ge is, is genetic. So I told the people, that say, as I said, I know you may not understand this, but I have a teaching called jumping the bloodline on breaking generational curses. God tells me this is a generational issue in the bloodline and I ask her, is this true? She says, yes. Four members of my family have already died from my secret dystrophy and I'm on my way. I said, mm, I think the Lord has something different for me. But come tomorrow. So Saturday night came. I didn't even, I don't know. I think Jesus loves Saturday night. <laughs> Just thought about this. Is, I'm, okay, Lord. So Saturday night. <laughs> Saturday night live. They are not technical problems in Africa. They are all demons. A demon got into my mic. Thank you, brother, for taking it out. <laughs> so Friday, Saturday night, she comes. I mean, they have it on video. I need to get that video. Oh, boy. We, I teach on it. I said, people, were you ready? So what they did in the church, because they put a square, a, a rectangular bread blind. I mean, they, like that. Like, you know, we have it here, but they had it like that and that and that. And then they had all their people stand around, this, and they're going to go inside of it. So the woman comes with a walker. She puts it aside. Her husband holds her like this. Somebody holds, holds her. She's going like this. You know, and I lead them into the into the prayer, we're going to pray for breaking generational curses. And uh, then I say to everybody, jump. Hundreds of people jumped and miracles began to happen immediately. But hers, oh, that was the icing on the cake. She caused a muscular dystrophy. She couldn't jump like people jump. Here's how she jumped. Never forget it. But as soon as the second feet came on the other side of the bloodline, what happened next, I will never forget for as long as I live. Because for the next 20 minutes, God be my witness, nonstop, the woman began to ballet dance. I'm not a ballet. Like this. She, she would go, turn around, turn around. She was gone in the glory. Gone are the, she's dancing, she's doing these moves. Pastor Aiken is crying. Everybody's crying. The children start to cry. The husband is crying. Finally, Pastor John couldn't take it. He stopped her. He said, she's laughing. She's hysterical. Joyfully hysterical. 
And Brother John said, sis, what happened? He said, when Dr. Mao says jump the line, when I put my second foot, when I jumped over the line with my second foot, as soon as I did it, he said, Jesus appeared right in front of me, and he said to her, he says, he did this to me. He said, daughter, I know you have been missing the dance. I'll have this dance. Here's what I did not know. that When she was young, she was a champion ballet dancer. She had to give up the career because of the dystrophy. And the Lord said, you've been longing to dance. And he said, the times you saw me go like this, and then I turn like this, he says, Jesus will spin me. Then you fall on the floor and just laugh. And then come back and spin me again, and you'll laugh again. And I was just enjoying it. She was totally oblivious of all of us until the man of God shook her down and said, stop. What is going on? Man, she left, the, she left that place with that straight walk like this. <laughs> then Sunday morning, she asked the pastor to let her be the one to usher people through the door. For half of the people never came to church. They were, then revival broke out in the foyer. People were like, what? She was like, yeah, you should have been here Saturday. <laughs> we jumped the line. <laughs> What's that? You should have been here. We jumped the line. Okay. Two more. Now this two, I'm going out from outside of myself to people who have read my book and run with it. I go to a TV station in Atlanta. They're about to interview me, but I walk in this TV station. It's a secular TV station. I walk into it. And there was a Nigerian man who was also going to be interviewed that day. So when I walked in, he stands up with that very nice, aggressive Nigerian style. Man of God! I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, chill, brother. Man of God! You have changed my life! Dr. Mouse, I can't believe you are here. So I know he knew me, okay? He and he gave me a bear hug. And when it was finished, he said, you have no idea how jump the line has completely changed my ministry. I was watching you. I've got a church in San Diego, uh, uh, San Jose. And then I saw you on Cedro. I called my wife. There is a man talking about a bloodline thing. And I, I've never heard this before. He said, my wife and I, she stopped what she was doing. We sat and we listened to the whole thing. And that night, we jumped the line in our house. And he says, everything began to shift. So God told him, incorporate this tool in your ministry. He said to the mouse, I have got hundreds of jump the line miracles. But I want to give you one. Just happened two weeks ago. I was doing a crusade in a big church in London. All of a sudden, he says, on the second night, I was teaching on something different. Halfway through my message, the Lord says, son, make them, all of them, jump the line. It was a Thursday night. So that I stopped. I said, guys, there is a revelation of, there is a tool of deliverance I've got from this man of God. His name is Francis Miles. 
you know, it's called jumping the bloodline. And so he said, I took about 15 minutes and I explained. And he said, over 500 people in that service jumped the bloodline. Watch this. But here's where the miracle is. Many people got, said, many people got delivered that night. But the icing that shook that whole weekend and changed the dynamics of the whole meeting was the miracle that would happen that night. Well, unbeknown to him, the Nigerian man, there was a woman there who was known to the pastor who had the tumor the size of a golf ball in her, lodged in her brain. It was becoming bigger and she was in excruciating pain and she would have blackouts. She was seeing the top neurosurgeon in London. And she had had to see, she, the pain was so excruciating. She, the doctor said, to operate on the brain. It's so sensitive the way it's, it's built in. It's a 50-50 chance. You could die on the table, you could live. But if you live, maybe your speech could be gone, something. It's the brain. It's all about the brain. It's the side of a golf ball and it's growing. But the pain was so bad, the woman was willing to take the risk than to live the way she was living. So she signed a document for an experimental, the neurosurgeon. So, he, so, the, so the Friday was the day of the surgery. This neurosurgeon brought in three other neurosurgeons from other parts of Europe because this was going to be a case study for the neuroscience because the way it was. So those guys had already come in the day before. Well, that night, the woman is, at, is there in the meeting and she jumps the line, goes to surgery the following morning, so now they want to map the surgery so if they put her in the tube because these other neurosurgeons want to see exactly where things had progressed before they go in. They put her in under this machine. She comes out. She says when she came out, she knew something was wrong. And so she panicked. She said, oh my God. Is it worse? I can't operate anymore. The doctors, the both of the doctors in their white coats look like they had seen a ghost. So she came out. She said, what's wrong? Is anything, is fine, you can operate? The doctor said, no, there will be no surgery today. Why? He says, because we are scratching our heads because we can't even find where it used to be. Yes, Jesus. The tumor is completely gone. We cannot even find all we have of your tumor is the last, is last x-rays. All the x-rays over the, t over the months I've been treating you. All of them show the golf ball. But now it's all gone. What did you do? Did you, did you, you know, and the woman says to these three, three, four doctors, she says, oh, last night I jumped the line. <laughs> so you can imagine this. What? What is that? I jumped the line. That's the only thing I did. I jumped the line. <laughs> So news traveled so fast by the weekend. Oh, oh, the whole meeting became a jump the line festival. Everybody was coming for the next few days, wanted nothing but to jump the bloodline. It created a revival in that part of London. Wow. So the man says to me, you've changed my life. Yeah. I'll never again live without jump the bloodline. It's so easier than the stuff we were doing before. I said, well, I guess the Lord just, Jesus, Jesus knows something we don't. <laughs> Another one, and the last one, and then you're gonna you're gonna stand up and pray. Now this one is emotional to me. Very, of all the one, it's the most emotional. 
is a woman who sends me a $600 check. But there's a message. Dr. Myers, thank you for saving the life of my husband. I'm thinking, what? I don't know the woman. How could I have saved her? No. And she's, uh, this check is a seed of honor because you saved my best friend in this world. But there was a number, so I got curious. There was a cell phone number. I said, I got to find out. Talk to me, somebody. First, I made sure the check was good. <laughs> That's just a joke. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I called. <laughs> I called the woman, and she lived in Fordham. She picked up the phone. I said, this is Dr. Mouse. Oh, she said, oh, my Dr. Mouse. She said, got excited. I said, sister, I had to call. Thank you first for them for the check. We receive it in Jesus' name. We really appreciate it. But I'm not calling over the check. What did you mean? I saved the life of your friend, your best friend. She teared up. She said, Oh, you gotta hear this. It's a soup, it's a tragic, but tragic story. It's a, it's a bittersweet story. So what do you mean? I said, Well, my friend. In their bloodline, they have chronic bipolar. The mother, father dealing with their different levels. He says, my friend is, on a, is a CPA. I think she was a CPA or whatever. Worked, got a great job. She's 25. But she, ha she, but she had a sister who killed herself in her apartment. She had an 18-year-old sister who, killed, who blew her brains off. So imagine you're keeping your sister of eight, you, eight, your little sister. And you go to work, you come back, and you are the one to discover the body with blood spatter all over the building. That's what the woman came to. She opened the door, and what did she see? The slumped body of her sister with brain, brain matter all over the, bu the building. Because she just blew her brains out. But she had wrote a note trying to calm the sister. I just cannot live this much. This bipolar medication is messing with my life. I can't live like this, was the note. So I've decided to end it. That was our solution. Bad solution, but that's what she did. 911 comes there. The sister is so traumatized that her own bipolar just goes crazy. She could hardly concentrate at work now. Well, this friend of ours happens to pass through Mike Bickle's church in Kansas City, and there was my book. That book was there. Somebody gave her the book. Have you heard of Dr. Francis Miles and his bloodline teaching? Yeah, this is the book. So they gave it to her, and she read it on the plane. The more she read it, the more I was convinced this may be the solution to my friend's chronic bipolar. She said to me, the you know what I did? With a little knowledge of what I read from your book, I called my friend. I went to her house. I said, listen, we got to try this. I took her. I put a blood. I took a red ribbon. And I said, I became the deliverance minister. I told her to speak after me everything that you write in your book. And I told her, jump the line. And she jumped the bloodline. I said, what happened? She said, Dr. Mars, what, what did not happen? 
He said within one week, she was off all five bipolar medication. She said it was like day and night. Up to today, my friend has never taken one bipolar medication. She is doing phenomenal, fantastic. She's completely free of bipolar. And that's why I sent you the check. It was your book on jumping the blood and that led to that deliverance. You saved my friend's life. So, we are going to do this. In the book of Ezekiel, the Bible talks about, amen. In the book of Ezekiel, God says, when I saw you, if, if everybody can stand now. Come close to the bloodline. Everybody come close to the bloodline. Don't worry, everybody's going to get a chance to jump. Amen. Amen. In the book of Ezekiel, what's gonna, let me read two scriptures. Actually, the Lord wants me to read. The Lord wants me to read this. Uh, Noah and the people in the booth. I'm going to need, I'll raise a hallelujah. The song is called, I'll raise a hallelujah. When they jump, that's when you release it. But make it and make it make some noise. I want it at an African level. <laughs> so that's loud. Yes. Amen. Because there's a reason for it. You can never jump the blood. I'm going to tell you an ins instruction the Lord gave me for jumping the bloodline. Okay? But let me just read you um, while you are standing. Ezekiel. Ezekiel 16. Again, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, cause Jerusalem to know our abominations. Now, the word Jerusalem is a Hebrew word, Jerusalem. Okay, have you seen the two words there? Most of the words in Hebrew are combined, are conjoined. Jeru is a house. Selem is peace. So Jerusalem means the house of peace. It's a prophetic picture of the believer because Yeshua called you to become a house of what? That's why the first thing the Lord gives you when you, be you, get, you become born again is what? I got peace as soon as I receive Jesus because you become your Jerusalem. But he says, but I want, even though she's, she's mine, she's Jerusalem, she's the house of peace, that's her calling. Where are the abominations or abnormal behavior coming from in her life? And God begins to give the diagnosis. And that says the Lord God to Jerusalem, your birth, your birth and your nativity are from the land of Canaan. Your father was an Amorite. And your mother was a Hittite. In other words, this is where all the junk, the Trojan horses are coming from the convergence of the two bloodlines. He said, that's where the abominations or abnormal impulses are coming from you, are coming from even though you are mine and want to live the ways of God, you are getting interrupted by the abominations that are in the bloodline. It's coming from your nativity. Then he says this. 
As for your nativity, on the day you were born, your umbilical cord was not cut. This, this was difficult for me. I said, Lord, does it not make sense? I said, Lord, I mean, I argued with him. I said, Lord, does it make sense? What do you mean, does it make sense? I said, Lord, look at this. Even an African uneducated uh, midwife in Africa, in the remote village of Africa, knows when a mother gives birth to a baby, what's the first thing you cut? The umbilical cord. But you are saying, on the day you were born, the umbilical cord was not cut. And he said to me, Francis, that's because everything in the spirit is born twice. In the spirit, then the natural. He said, yes, the, the mothers cut the natural umbilical cord. But he said, remember what I told in Hebrews 11? By faith we understand that the things which are seen appear are made of things which are invisible. So just like you have a natural umbilical cord, Francis, there is a spiritual umbilical cord that connects you spiritually to the genetics of your bloodline who cut that one. I said, ooh, is it that's why jumping the bloodline is about is you give me the permission to cut the umbilical cord the, the, that the midwives couldn't cut because they couldn't see it. <laughs> On the day that you were born, your umbilical cord, your spiritual umbilical cord was not cut. And therefore, everything, every iniquity, every Trojan horse, everything that had, has been coming, because that line is still uh, in the spirit as the umbilical cord. Even though in the natural, nobody says it, but in the, in the, but in the spirit, you're walking away like this, walking with an umbilical cord. Cutting, I mean, it's funny. If you saw it in the natural, that would be very funny. But in the spirit, it's exactly how we are walking until we cut it. He said to me, when you jump the bloodline, you are giving me the permission to cut it. That's why people are seeing the miracles you are seeing. I said, okay, I got it. He said, because remember, Francis, the struggle is always in the blood. Look at the verse 6. Verse 6 of Ezekiel says, And when I passed by you and saw you struggling, struggling, where? In your own blood. I said to you in your blood, live. So when you jump the bloodline, there will be a voice in heaven saying, in your blood, live. You speak to it. One more scripture. People ask me, why does... So one of the things that happens in the realm of the spirit when you jump the line is found in Psalms 16. And I want to read this because I think you are going to love this one. Oh Lord, Psalms 16, 5 and 6. Oh Lord, you are the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You maintain my lot. Okay? You maintain what? My lot. How? Verse 6. The lines are fallen to me in pleasant places are the good inheritance. He said, Francis, when my people jump the bloodline, not only do I deliver them from genetic iniquity in the bloodline, I cause the lines of inheritance to fall in the right places. And pleasant things begin to happen to them. Are you guys ready? Okay. So what we're going to do now is here are the instructions for jumping the bloodline. I want every human being here to remember two names. Remember? Genetic iniquity comes from the mother's side and the father's side. Is right? So I want you to remember your father's last name. Your father's what? Your father's last name is going to be used in the prophetic act to identify the bloodline of your father. You want God to cut the umbilical cord. So if your father's 
last name is Johnson, then you are looking for Johnson, but it's not just Johnson by itself. If you got a Johnson, when we come to renounce, we'll be saying the Johnson bloodline. It was a bloodline. So whatever the name is, you add the word what? So Lopez, Jackson, because you are using the name, you are not renouncing your father, you are using his last name to legally identify the bloodline you want God to cut. If you are adopted, yes, if you are adopted, you know what? What, you, what I do with adopted people is I tell them, you know, if you don't know the name of your father, God already knows what his name is. So what I tell them is mention the name of the father you know, and then tell the Lord, Lord, even the blood of my biological father must be cut off. So just the biological father, because God knows who he is, and God knows who she is. Does that make sense? Takes care of that. Then we need your mother's maiden name. Your mother's what? Your mother's maiden name will help us identify your mother's what? Bloodline or genealogy. Is that right? So those are the two names that are very, very important. Is that right? Are you catching what I'm saying? Amen? And then for married women, there's a third line you have to deal with. It's a, your husband's bloodline. So we, we go to a place where we actually pray, a prayer where you renounce the influence of your, father, of your, your husband's bloodline over your life. Are you catching what I'm saying? You're not renouncing your husband again. Want to cause any problems? It's the bloodlines that are corrupt. There is no pure human bloodline, absolutely zero, except Yeshua's bloodline. Any bloodline traced, generated from the first Adam is corrupt at the source. That's why the Bible says, in Adam, all die. Because that bloodline has already been hacked. Okay? And we receive different iniquities out of it that are different from different people. But the source is still corrupt. So, we're gonna lead, now I'm going to lead you in a prayer. Are you with me, somebody? Okay? And then, the last instruction I'm going to give you is when the time for jumping the bloodline comes. When I say jump, the Lord told me this is an extremely important part of the instruction. That when my people jump the bloodline, Francis, you cannot let them stay silent in my presence. They must do what the people in the vision I showed you did. Give the, my father a tehillah praise. And I said, why the praise? It is because praise is the protocol of hosting the court of heaven. And he gave me the scripture. So didn't David say, enter his gates with what? But when you get to his court, what do you do? You go from thanksgiving, thanksgiving open the gates, but, but praise hosts the courts. He said to me, when they jump the line, tell them to go crazy with praise. Because that is what seals the deliverance. So, amen? When you are praising, God signs off on the exchange. Amen? We see a lot of miracles and changes in people's lives when they jump the line. Okay? Are you with me, somebody? Are you guys ready? Okay, let's pray now. Are you guys ready? All right. Okay. Hallelujah.
I've never had anybody ask that. Brother, look like you're running away from a lot of stuff. Jump as far as you can jump. That's a good, that's funny. Love you, man. Are you guys ready? Okay. I'm going to modify the Leviticus. Okay, here we go. Amen. Say, Heavenly Father, righteous judge. By the blood of your son, Jesus. I enter into the family court of heaven. Where everything to do with family, including family inheritance, is adjudicated. Heavenly Father and righteous judge, as I come before you and your royal courtroom, I have come to receive your righteous judgment over my bloodline inheritance. Heavenly Father, I call upon your holy angels to be witnesses to this legal and righteous transaction. In the name of the Lord Jesus. Heavenly Father, righteous judge. I also declare and declare that all the demonic powers that have been attached for generations to the bloodlines of my natural ancestors will respect and honor your righteous judgment over my genetic inheritance. In the name of the Lord Jesus. For I stand before you, Lord, asking for the verdict of release from any genetic anomaly, any Trojan host, any demonic lien connected to my bloodline because of Satan hacking my generational bloodline. I'm looking to you, Lord, when I jump the prophetic bloodline to supernaturally cut the spiritual umbilical cord that connects me to my nativity. My father's bloodline and my mother's bloodline. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, your word says, if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Heavenly Father, righteous judge, forgive me for idolizing my family ancestry instead of giving it up for the sake of Christ my Lord. Heavenly Father, tonight, as I stand before the court of heaven, okay, now we are about to go for your father's last name. So remember the father's last name with the word what? Bloodline attached to it. When I lift my finger, you are going to open your mouth loudly and renounce, I mean, you're going to mention your father's last name with the word what? Bloodline. Is that right? Okay. All right, so that's the first one we go after. Are you ready? 
Say, Heavenly Father, I willingly and joyfully denounce Say, Heavenly Father, I denounce the bloodline and lineage that my father's last name represents and every demonic technology iniquity that is attached to it can no longer be used against me in the realm of the spirit in the name of the Lord Jesus because tonight I come to make an appropriation my corrupted bloodline for the incorruptible bloodline of the Messiah. So, Heavenly Father, I, I, I give up my father's corrupted bloodline in favor of Yeshua's holy and flawless bloodline. I declare as my testimony that from this day forward, Jesus says, Genetic inheritance is now my inheritance, replacing that of my forefathers. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Now we're going to go for your, I can feel the power of God when things are breaking already. How many, now we're going for, for your mother's maiden name. Are you ready for this? Say, Heavenly Father, I willingly and joyfully denounce. Say, Heavenly Father, righteous judge, I renounce the lineage and bloodline that my mother's maiden name represents. I denounce the lineage and bloodline that this name represents. And all the demonic technologies and iniquities that are attached to it throughout its timeline can no longer be used by the devil against me. I renounce my allegiance to my mother's corrupted bloodline. I exchange it for the bloodline of Yeshua HaMashiach. I declare and declare that from today Jesus is genetic inheritance is now my inheritance, replacing that of my mother's corrupted bloodline. In the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, all married women or divorced women, your husband's last name, okay? Say, Heavenly Father, I willingly and joyfully denounce, mention the name with the word bloodline. Say, Heavenly Father, Say, Heavenly Father, I renounce any demonic influence that my, my husband's corrupted bloodline that his, that his name represents have had over my life and over our marriage. It's broken today for Yeshua becomes our bloodline in Jesus' name. Okay? Now, of course, those who don't know your biological parents, 
How many, how many kids don't know your biological parents by lifting up? How many are orphans who don't know your biological parents? Who don't know your biological parents? Who doesn't know your biological parents? You don't know your biological parents? What? Okay. All right? Then pray this prayer. Say, Heavenly Father, I do not know my biological parents even though I bear, even though I, I bear, even though I carry their genetic footprint. But you know them, Lord. And therefore trust you to free me, to free me from any iniquity attached to my biological parents' lineage. I exchange it for the blood of Yeshua. Amen. Now everybody else, we're almost done. Say, Heavenly Father, I willingly and joyfully denounce all superimposed DNA arising from witchcraft, sexual assault, blood transfusions, trauma, or sexual immorality. I strongly denounce all the demonic technologies and iniquities that are attached to this demonically engineered superimposed DNA. I renounce it for the flawless DNA of Jesus. Heavenly Father, tonight, as I now prepare to jump over the prophetic bloodline, I release my faith for the healing of my physical body and all genetic anomalies. In Yeshua's name I pray. Heavenly Father, I also beseech you to deliver me permanently from all generational curses in my bloodline by superimposing upon my life Yeshua's flawless bloodline in Jesus' name. Heavenly Father, thank you for healing me from any and all genetic deficiencies. In the name of the Lord Jesus, I'm asking you, Lord, to pour out of my DNA everything, every, every demonic program, everything Satan has hacked. Pour it out of my DNA as I jump the prophetic bloodline. Heavenly Father, I declare and declare that when I jump over the prophetic bloodline, I'll be jumping directly into the glory realm of God where all miracles reside. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, I declare and declare that like the children of Israel who never saw Pharaoh again, and their taskmasters, because you drowned them at the Red Sea. Lord, as I stand before the bloodline, 
I am in my Red Sea moment. When I jump over the very bloodline, I'm trusting you, Lord, to drown every familiar spirit, every iniquity that has harassed me for years. They'll be gone for good. No familiar spirit will cross the bloodline. May the blood of Jesus become a war of separation between my new season and the iniquities of my forefathers. In Jesus' name. Man, I feel the anointing. I feel the power so strong right now. Are you guys ready? Are you guys ready? Okay. So what we're going to do, I'm going to say jump. When I say jump, what are you going to do? We are all, we're going to fill up all of this space. Now, by the way, here's what you do. When you jump the line, you don't cross back because you reverse the prophetic act. You're going to let me pick up the bloodline. Stay on this side until it's gone. Because if you go back, you cross it. You reverse it. You ain't going back to what you've left. You get what I'm saying? Okay, so, it, so when this happened, when, when the, I mean, the worship is about to explode in here. Okay? So you're going to jump the bloodline. Amen? Okay? And then you're going to give God a tehila what? Praise. You're going to act like God just gave you a million dollars. That kind of noise, that kind of excitement, okay? Amen? And you guys know I'll be ready. As soon as I jump, you play the song, I raise hallelujah, as loudly as you can, okay? Amen? Because we are going, that's how we're going to go, that's how, that's how it's going to go down. Amen? Are you with me? Are you ready? Hallelujah. Oh, by the way, I want to say this. We are, we've had hundreds of people who said before they jumped the bloodline, they used to have perennial nightmares. Since they jumped the bloodline, they never have them again. So there are many changes. By tomorrow, if you've got a testimony, even testify, because I'm telling you, it happened so fast. Are you guys ready? Yeah. Are you guys ready? Yeah. Mike, here we go. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, jump into your deliverance now! In the name of Jesus! Shake in the rebose, Man, did it. I raise a hallelujah. Man, did it. Louder than the unbelief. Hallelujah. I raise a hallelujah. Woo. I weapon. Hallelujah. Here they go. Here they go. Every speed of witchcraft, go. Every disease, go. Cancer, go. Nightmares, go.
seeing something flash before my eyes. Hey guys, we're gonna close tonight with a fire tunnel. I think this would be appropriate. This is how this works. I need uh, White Oak starting with Ted right here. Ted, have someone face across from you. Dan, have someone face across from you. Yeah, you guys, you guys, vineyard people, you know the drill. Get someone face across you. Everyone else, if you would, swing over here to this side over here. Go all the way over here. All the way over here. There you go. Now, now listen. We're going to start down here and start going through the tunnel. But how you got to do this is you have to keep moving. Do not stop anybody, okay? Just let the fire come on them as they run through the tunnel, okay? So we're going to loop the song over, and we're going to pour the coal to it, right? Let's have some fun with this. So much freedom here tonight. <clears throat> hey, Clyde, Clyde, make sure they turn and go that way, okay? Not into the wall. <laughs> oh, okay. You guys ready? Let's do this. Crank it up. Okay. Amy, why don't you start? Yeah, you go ahead. You and Paul, you guys start. Let's go, 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 go. Keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going guys, keep going, keep moving, keep going Dave, Dave keep going, you got this Dave, oh thank you Jesus, thank you Jesus, yes, yes, fire, 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 keep going, keep going, keep going Dave, you got this, oh. Yeah, yeah, you guys got it. In the presence of my yes, keep going, keep going. Guys, just call out the fire of God. Keep it going, guys. Call it out. Woo! Oh my, oh my, oh my. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Keep going. Keep going. Fire, fire. Oh my goodness. Come on, guys. Come on, guys. Call out fire. Let's raise a hallelujah. Let's do this. Man, I believe that cancer is being healed here tonight. Oh, I believe that depression is gone. Woo! Jesus. Keep going, keep going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Keep going, guys. Keep going. Yes. Keep going. Keep going. Yes, 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 yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Thank you, Jesus. 
Oh my, oh my, oh my, oh my. Oh yeah. Keep calling down fire, guys. Fire. Cleansing fire. Wow. 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 Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Thank you, Jesus. Keep going, guys. Woo! Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Freedom. Freedom is happening right now. Freedom. Wow. Wow. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, 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 yes. celebration oh my goodness hey guys I, I really want you to take note of this we've had some powerful powerful revelation handed to us this weekend it's not over yet but wait there's more tomorrow no I just want to say this revelation is interesting it's like energy in a battery unless you use it it's just sitting there our job is to make Jesus famous, right? Let's do this. Let's take what God has done for us and show the world how amazing and how great the world is. If we're preaching a gospel that doesn't have any power, we're missing something. But, man, this is power, and I want you guys to just be encouraged to take this power to your circle of influence. Amen? Woo! So having said all that, man, I just I encourage you guys to check out their books, pour into their ministry. We still have some offering baskets up here and just love on these guys they're amazing so i just thank you again let's stand we'll close in prayer and let you guys get out of here tomorrow morning 10 o'clock when service starts and uh, we got a special mother's day treat tomorrow and a lot of cool stuff going on and i just want to say if you can get this email down just a simple it can, you can remember it in your in your in your mind testify at francismouse.com Say testify, testify. at francismouse.com. I'm always desperate in need of testimonies to remind me of the goodness of God. So I always know every time there's jumped the bloodline, there is a woman who told me that she, she felt like a thousand pounds of weight fell off her because she struggled with serious molestation when she was young. 
And she said she felt like all of it just left. She's just, you know, I want to hear any testimony at that way. Send me, your, email me your testimony. I would love to know because I'm telling you, I've never done jump the line and there is no testimony after testimony. Here, brother. Okay, thank you. All right. He's just that kind of guy. Bob, come on up. I see that hand. Come on, Bob. Come on. Come on, Bob. You get to close this in prayer, brother. I saw that hand. You just shot up and... Father, we just thank you, God. We praise you for all that you've done this weekend, oh God. And we bless Francis and his wife, God. Oh, yes, Father. Just pour out your blessing upon them. Pour strength into them, oh God, and give them an amazing night's sleep. And we'll be back to see you again tomorrow. Amen. Amen.